Welcome to episode 171 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. We have a partial eclipse coming early Friday morning here for us in North yeah. America. And I guess all the, the Americas things visible from everywhere in the, the Americas, North and South America and, yeah. uh, and some other places. So uh, yeah, you excited for this, Shane? Kind of. Um, this is a pretty cool eclipse uh, in terms of its place in history. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and this goes back to conversations we've had about how the media sometimes picks up on, you know, super moons and super duper moons and whatever else they, they categorize. And, and I'm just, I'm, it's sort of disappointing that this one's not getting a little more fanfare. It is. Yeah. It yeah. Is. So why is, why is that? What's special about this one? So this is the longest lasting uh, lunar eclipse um, for a, like since 1440, but then we have to wait like another 600 and some odd years until we have one as long. So yeah. that's incredible. Um, you know, I, I don't know how close it is in terms of like, you know, this one's I think three and a half hours. I'm not sure yep. if the next one is like three hours and you know, 27 minutes or something like, I don't know how big of a gap it actually is, but it's, it's pretty cool just to think that, you know, this is really truly a once in a lifetime lunar eclipse in terms of how long it'll last. Yeah. The other thing about this eclipse, and we're going to, we're going to get into um, more of this uh, for this podcast. This podcast is for the 365 days of astronomy, and we will release this on Thursday on our podcast stream and uh, 365 days of astronomy um, shouldn't it be 365 nights of astronomy? Oh, anyway. Um, hey, you can do astronomy during the day. <laughs> I get, oh yes. You solar observers. Yes. Anyway. So, um, uh, f- so we're doing this, we're going to release it. And then, and then sort of late that night, early Friday morning, um, from, for most of, of those of us who, who will be able to see this, um, we'll have the opportunity to, to observe a, uh, a lunar eclipse, but, it's a partial lunar eclipse, but this partial is um, almost a, a full lunar eclipse. It's 97% covered by the Earth's uh, shadow. So it's not a full lunar eclipse, but it's about as much of a partial as you can get right before it is uh, a full lunar eclipse. And it's going to spend much of that three and a half hours inside the shadow of the Earth. So I think it could be a very interesting one because I've, I've seen a similar one before, and that was the most interesting lunar eclipse that I ever saw. So this one could be a really cool event to watch. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I hope we have good weather for it here. We were just talking prior to pressing record that it's, who knows what we'll have, I guess, that night. As long as it's clear, I will be observing it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's something you can observe from, from a city because basically what happens is we, we can, uh, hopefully we can all uh, find a spot in, in the city, cities where, where we live. And if you're not in the city, you should have no trouble at all. Um, find the moon and then uh, sort of at, at the appointed hours, we'll get into that here in a moment. Um, you can actually see the moon begin to uh, darken and it looks, it almost looks at first like someone took a bite out of the moon, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat to, to watch it form right from beginning to, you know, I guess in this case to, you know, as full of an eclipse as it'll get at 97%. And then when it starts to come out of that eclipse, it's, it's really neat. 
And, uh, and then, um, you know, as you're, as you're watching this, because it's not an entirely um, full eclipse, there'll be a 3% of the moon will still be off um, the darkest part of the Earth's shadow, but it will still be in the Earth's shadow. And uh, so you might get like a really beautiful um, gradient of colors passing over the, the surface of that lunar disk over the course of that three hours. But at first, it just looks like someone took a bite and then the, the portion of the illuminated disc shrinks and you see like this sort of, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like the moon necessarily looks like when it's at a crescent phase or, you know, when it's waxing or waning, but it, uh, it definitely, there, there's like a larger and larger hunk taken out of it and it looks a little bit odd. And then um, once it kind of gets to a certain point, you start to see these colors. And I, I think that by only being, uh, you know, 3% illuminated, I think we'll, we'll still definitely get those colors, but how much or how little of those we get um, is going to be, I, I think, a pretty fascinating thing to, uh, to see. And I, I think we still should probably get some pretty good colors there. Yeah, that's always the interesting part of the lunar eclipse is just what colors will you see and how, how deep or pronounced is that color? Um, I remember one eclipse, oh gee, this would be probably about 12 or so years ago. Um, it was really hard to tell that anything was occurring. Like it really, like the moon wasn't as bright, but like the colors really didn't come through. But then, um, uh, you know, probably the last one that I saw was like kind of a real deep red. It was, it was really pretty. Yeah. The, I think the, I think the last really good one we had was in, uh, was in the early autumn about maybe six years ago and it was like a warm evening yes. and i was i was teaching my astronomy class and we actually made arrangements to to go to the park in in a really um sort of common area like a, like an area where people tend to gather and i sort of had had gone and scouted it out because it wouldn't really matter how much light was around there's there's a few lights in in the general area but you know, I kind of wanted people to feel, uh, you know, safe and and have a place that was very accessible for people. And uh, and it turned out, you know, and, and it was also within walking distance to Mike's house. So I think I like parked there and we walked over together and he, he brought over his binoculars. And, uh, you know, and we all uh, we all stood there and it's near the legislature here in the city. And so there was lots of people around and I had um, the people who were attending my astronomy class bring their binoculars and we all viewed the eclipse. And as, as the moon went into that full eclipse phase, we ended up, um, you know, looking for some deep sky objects. So I was able to kind of help guide uh, people to find like the Andromeda galaxy and the double cluster and, you know, a few of the, of the great uh, autumn uh, objects to, to look at in the sky, um, sort of while we looked at, at the lunar eclipse. And, um, it was, that was a very cool experience. And like you said, it was a very red lunar eclipse and we had a, we had a nice view of it, but do you have any other, uh, happy lunar eclipse memories, Shane? Um, yeah, I'm just actually sending you an image of that, uh, oh. of that eclipse. Uh, I, I was not with you and Mike, but I was imaging in the backyard and, um, it was, uh, it was really good. Yeah. Like that really took on some amazing color. Uh, that was September 27th, 2015. Yeah. There you go. It's six years ago. Just like I said, I, yeah. I said, I think yeah. it was about six, five or six years ago, it was six years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got uh, a heavier image now. Then we, we did another one. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And so you could see on this one and maybe you can tweet this, this image out, but mm -hmm. you can see there how there's a little bit of the moon still illuminated. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder if this one is going to look very similar to that one that we saw in, uh, in September of 2015. I, I, I think that what your image there shows, I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, I, I think th- that would be my expectation as well, because, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly tweet this out so everybody can see it, um, which is our, our Twitter is at Actual Astronomy, just in case you were wondering. Um, but yeah, in this image, like there's a, just a real, you know, kind of thin sliver on the outer limb of the moon, I guess in the, you know, what would that be? The Southeast corner, uh, no, sorry, Southwest corner or quadrant. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just has its natural gray, whereas the rest of the moon is, you know, varying shades of kind of red and orange. Yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, that we see something very similar to this. I, I think that image really captures what I have in my mind uh, that we're going to see. And, uh, and I don't know, th- this was even longer ago. This is more like maybe 10 or 11 years ago. It wasn't too long after I moved here, but we went up to uh, to the to the hill there in the park um, with the astronomy club. And this was in, I think it was in December or January or something. I remember it was cold and there was snow on the ground and it was you know, it was like into the minus teens and, um, and we set up our scopes and, and it was going to be an eclipse that started and the moon was going to set during full eclipse. Did you come and watch that one with, then we all went out for breakfast afterwards. Yeah, that was early morning. No, um, I did not. I watched that from the comfort of my couch looking through a window. Cause it was very <laughs> cold that morning. Yeah. And you know, this is just kind of a sidebar, Chris, this is a cool thing about, or one of the many cool things about lunar eclipses is you don't need optical equipment to observe them. You really just need your eyes. And if it is, you know, too cold or, or whatever the circumstances might be, if you can see it out of your window, this is one of the few astronomical events that you know, go ahead and do it. It, you know, the window's not really going to add any sort of, uh, issues, you know, whereas if you're trying to use telescopes or binoculars through a window that, that added glass sometimes can really add some distortions. So. Yeah. And, and in fact, this, uh, watching lunar eclipses is how I really get into amateur astronomy. So, um, my mother was always getting me to go out and, and watch them. Uh, I, I had an interest and she was cultivating that interest. And um, kind of what really put me over the top was we, um, we were uh, on the coast, like at our place on the coast um, where, where they still live. And um, we have a, a floating dock and there's like a, a walkway down to that floating dock between the, the regular um, physical dock and then the dock that floats uh, for those, th- those that aren't, aren't aware of how these things work. And then that floating dock rises and lowers with, with the tides. And so we actually, um, we were listening at, at St. Mary's University. They were kind of doing interviews on CBC every, I don't know, half an hour or something like that for, for whatever reason, or they did a bunch and they were playing them and, and, and they were actually clouded out in, in Halifax. We we're about 50 kilometers away and it was clear where we were. And I was able to kind of listen to them talking about the eclipse because they were kind of going to the history and, and other things and, you know, just sort of chatting about eclipses in general, because I don't think they were able to see it or not see it well. And we were actually able to, to listen to them talking about it. Um, while we actually rode up and down, or I guess we were, I think it was rising. I think the tide was rising at the time. And, um, so we're actually able to feel the physical effects of the moon on us because we're on this floating dock as it's rising with the tide while we're, we're watching a lunar eclipse take place. 
And uh, that experience really, that's really what pushed me in, you know, from being sort of a casual watching lunar eclipses, some meteor showers, identifying a few constellations and just enjoying the Milky Way in the summer to actually somebody who, who goes out when it's, when it's like minus 20 to observe these things. Hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty neat story. Yeah. So do you have any other, uh, do you have any, any other sort of uh, memorable experiences of, of lunar eclipses? Have you, have you seen a lot of them? I've seen them all that have been visible wherever I've been um, as long as it's been clear for the past uh, many decades since I was a small child. So, yeah. So, so my observations wouldn't go uh, quite as far back in time, but I would say probably for about the last uh, 20 or so years, I've, I've seen every eclipse, every lunar eclipse that has been visible here, um, provided that the conditions allowed it. But really my two most memorable ones are the, the one we talked about in 2015, just because of how impressive the color was. And it was yeah. such a beautiful evening. It was just warm. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the sky eyes were perfectly clear. Like you couldn't have asked for a better night. It was just wonderful. Um, yep. so that was great. And then the other one you referenced that early morning one, I just, again, it was such a unique experience because I was just on my couch. I had a blanket on and it was just wonderful to watch it out the window. And, um, it, it was just a pleasurable experience again. So those two really stand out for me. Yeah. There, there was one I watched, I think it might've been, it was either, um, a partial or a penumbral and I remember for some reason, the media was, was I think maybe because it was like a supermoon back when supermoons were first becoming a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and they they were really fascinated that there was this eclipse, quote unquote, when, when it was taking place. But you really couldn't see that much. It, it was just a partial or a penumbral. And we'll get into that here in a second. And, uh, you know, and I went out and observed it you know, really only because they, they were, you know, they wanted me to kind of come on the the radio again in the morning. So I did one interview one day and I did another interview the next day. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of a cool way to kind of talk to the public and, and reach a wider audience about, you know, these sort of events. But at the same time, like you were saying at the start, sometimes um, what the media sort of latches onto, unfortunately, isn't, uh, isn't sort of the prime event. And here we have this, this is really going to be a cool event here and uh, it's going to happen for us in the middle of the night anyway. But maybe we'll, uh, we'll just talk, uh, talk more in general terms now. Um, but uh, what is a lunar eclipse, Shane? What's happening here? What's going on? Well, basically, so when we see the moon at night, the moon is really just reflecting sunlight. You know, the, the sun uh, is set for, for us, so we can't see it or we're not experiencing any of its light. However, you know, the angles in space, the moon is still able to receive some of that sunlight and reflects it back to us. Now, what a lunar eclipse is, is when the moon passes into the Earth's shadow. So um, the, the majority of the light that, you know, the moon would typically reflect back to us is, is gone. Yeah, it's it's surprising to some people. So the moon and the planets, they do not shine in the visible spectrum under their own uh, luminance. Yeah, <laughs> it's all reflected sunlight. It's it's all reflected sunlight from from our sun. They're they're not they're not shining because they're you know there's not a bunch of people burning candles or holding up lighters or anything <laughs> like that up there. Um, and and like you said, yeah, the lunar eclipse they they happen because our moon is uh, reflecting sunlight. It's full, so it's opposite the sun in our night sky. So it's catching the most uh, sunlight it can from from our perspective. And then um, it wanders into our, our Earth's shadow. 
um, which is pretty cool. So there's three kinds of lunar eclipses. There's the total lunar eclipse, there's the partial, which is what we have this time, and there's the penumbral. So this, uh, this total, the, the total eclipse is, is often seen to be the best because the, uh, the, the moon is going to go um, and become completely uh, immersed in the main part of the Earth's shadow, and that's called the uh, umbra. That's, that's like the, the main part of the Earth's shadow. And there's these two parts. There's the umbra. That's, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want the moon to enter. Um, and then there's the uh, penumbra. And that's just sort of the, the outer sort of dusky uh, area of, of Earth's shadow. And now when we have a, a penumbra eclipse, um, you can't really see those, can you? I went and observed one of those once and that they're not really that visible, are they? No, no. Like it, it's hard to really tell it from just like, a, I don't know, I guess sort of a normal phased moon in a way. Yeah. 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 It, uh, you know, basically what, what you see with the penumbral eclipse is just such a mild shading of the moon. Honestly, I've observed a few of those and you can't really tell. It almost seems like maybe some high haze has developed and you wouldn't notice it like at all if there was any kind of cloud or anything at all in the sky. Whereas a, uh, a full eclipse, like even if there's some cloud, like you're still going to see it as the moon kind of pokes in and out of the cloud. And, and if there's like, I've seen it under like heavy ice crystals there when we were observing it when it was minus 20. And uh, yeah, it's no question. It's, it's a lunar eclipse and that's what's happening versus uh, a penumbral eclipse. Yeah. You're, you're not really going to see it as much. And then the, the partial eclipses, well, often with those, you're just seeing that, that a little bite out of the moon, but um but this one, we're gonna we're gonna see more than just a little bite. We're gonna see ninety seven percent of the moon enter the the Earth's shadow, which is gonna be uh, which is gonna be pretty cool. And it's gonna be for a long time too. On the morning of the nineteenth of November this year, we're gonna see um, the longest one that we've had in in about five hundred and eighty years, and it's gonna be just under three and a half hours. So that is a uh, is a pretty significant piece of time, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And the nice part about that is you can, you can kind of go about, you know, other, other things if you want, you know, read your email, do, do whatever you would like, because this is not a, like a super fast occurring event, but it is neat to watch it progress over that period of time. Yeah. So if the moon though, if the moon is entering Earth's shadow, like for example, if, if, uh, if we're walking uh, down, down a street and, uh, you know, and, and here we have these beautiful horizons, you know, I have, have gone and watched some of the ghost towns here in Saskatchewan. It's pretty cool. And, and it's sort of getting, the sun's getting low on the horizon. Um, and our shadow is being cast on the ground. Um, it's just like a, like a black shadow, basically more or less. Um, but lunar eclipses, they're not black, are they? No, no, no. They, they take on different colors. Um, you know, uh, varying shades. I, I always describe it as varying shades of either orange or red and sometimes both. Yeah. And they call, they call this, uh, this scale of coloration of the moon, the Danjon scale. So we can have uh, very dark uh, eclipses. That would be like a zero. If, if it did just basically become invisible. And I saw one of these once 
Um, just as I first started using telescopes, I had borrowed a C90, a little Maxudov Cassegrain from uh, a neighbor who, who owned a photographic store. And he, he let me borrow this. It had like a 45 degree diagonal and, and I, and I watched it and it turned like, it turned very dark. They say that's a Dan John one, a dark eclipse. It was gray to, to brown in color. And then I went in for five minutes and I came out and I couldn't even find the moon. <laughs> you couldn't even find it at all. It basically disappeared. Yeah, it hmm. took a long time to refine it, like with my binoculars. I'd never quite seen that before. Now I was at sea level and um, you know, depending on what the tides do where I grew up, uh, can can help to uh uh, to, to bring in some, some haze and that sort of thing. So maybe that played into it, but I'd never seen one that dark before. That one really was dark. And when I finally got the telescope on it, um, boy, it, it, it just, you could barely tell it was, there. it was just like blotting out some stars. I actually just ended up not even observing much of it because it was so dark. I just ended up doing astronomy. Um, you know, started kind of panning around the sky with the with the C90 to look at it. Then, then we have Dan John two, which are the sort of very rust, uh, dark, rusty colored ones. In your photo, we actually get quite a few um, uh, areas on the moon that that have that rust color. And then at Dan John three, we have this red brick color, and that's where the moon is in the uh, in the umbral shadow versus the two the the rust colored area is caused by the dark central shadow um, and, and the sort of outer lines of the central shadow uh, are causing that rust colored, the umbral area of the shadow that that central portion of Earth's shadow, it causes that red brick to yellow, uh, coppery red part. And, uh, and that's a Dan John force. So we have from zero, very dark. One is sort of a gray brown. Dan John two is rust colored. Three is brick colored. And four is is like a coppery uh, red. Might even have some turquoise uh, colors on the edge, just depending on on where the moon is in the shadow. And what's going to be really neat about this partial eclipse on Friday morning is that the moon is going to kind of go through each part of the Earth's shadow while this event takes place, and it's going to be a very long one. So super excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. Uh, hoping to see lots of different color throughout the whole, uh, 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 eclipse, I guess. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, let's just talk briefly about, um, how to see them, what to use. Do you need a telescope? Do you need binoculars? You, can you stand on your head? Like what, what's the best way to see these things? Just, yeah. Just like I said <laughs> earlier, just your eyeballs, uh, you know, comfortable chair, you know, be warm and use your eyeballs. That's all you really need. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. You, you don't need to use a telescope. Um, you know, I, I often will set up a telescope when a lunar eclipse is taking place because uh, I, I own them and it can be kind of neat to, to watch them progress um, over the lunar surface. But honestly, you don't really see much more than with binoculars. So really binoculars have, have become like my favorite tool um, to see a lunar eclipse with um, because, you know, you can kind of... Uh, you know, see the darkening and the colors just a little bit differently, but yeah, you don't actually need anything at all to watch the lunar eclipse for, so for people out there listening, um, they can go out and just see this event and they can see all these different colors that we talked about just with their eye. 
um, and you don't need anything. But if you do have a pair of binoculars, even like an old dusty pair of binoculars that are sitting on a back shelf somewhere, or you go to Goodwill or, or a place um, that, that sells used um, you know, uh, equipment at all or, or used products, um, you can find a really good inexpensive pair of binoculars or, you know, most people have a pair of binoculars or can borrow a pair pretty easily. And I, I definitely always recommend um, having a pair of binoculars to look at the night sky and when you're out to look at these sort of events anyway. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Shane. For sure. Like, like I mentioned, this is not a super fast occurring event. Like you have three and a half hours to watch this thing progress. Um, so during that time, you could do a lot of other observing and, um, you know, having a telescope or some binoculars would certainly allow you to do that. Yeah. And, uh, again, though, like really probably the best thing to use, like you said, is just, just your eyes. You're going to look at it just with your eyes quite a bit and to be comfortable. So one of the, there's a few things you'll need to be comfortable here, here, we're going to be at, uh, it says an overnight low, I think of minus 10 or minus 11, but before the wind chill minus 20 is what we're going to experience here with the wind chill. And, uh, so I'll put on my, my line pants, a pair of boots, um, probably long underwear, um, going to dress pretty warm. And then I'll take out my camping chair and I have a reclining camping chair that I can, uh, you know, set, set the back at, uh, at a greater angle than 90 degrees. So you can actually very comfortably sort of lay back in it, maybe grab an old sleeping bag, throw that over me, have my binoculars there. And, uh, and yeah, just, just sort of casually watch it. I'll probably watch it for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes at a time, go in, uh, kind of get warmed up. Um, and then, and then go back out kind of 15 minutes on 15 minutes off and then uh, try to watch like that, that main part as it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good plan. So where are we going to see this thing? Where, who can, who can see this? Um, well, um, as, uh, as you mentioned at the start, I think it's really all of the Americas. Um, now I think North America, uh, gets to see the whole thing. Um, South America, um, I think sees most of it or all of it. I can't, I can't really remember actually. They see it start to happen, but like you said, that the uh, best spot is probably getting, uh, you know, sort of halfway between Easter Island and Hawaii. Um, but, uh, but really for, for all of North America, with the exclusion of like, uh, of the very Eastern coast of North America, we'll be able to see the entire thing, the East coast and South America, the, the eclipse, um, will still be taking place at moonset, but people will see it go into eclipse. And then, um, I think they get to see the bulk of the eclipse happen. And then the eclipse, I think it's just coming out of eclipse, depending on where you are, um, you know, as, as the moon is setting. So you'll see, you'll see most of it, um, for, for Europe, uh, you have to be in sort of North Eastern, uh, sorry, Northwestern Europe in order to see any of it. Like, uh, you know, if you were in, uh, I guess, Northern England, um, you'd be able to see, um, some of it and then it's, then it's going to set, um, maybe like parts of Finland and Sweden and that sort of thing. Uh, some parts of, uh, Northwest Africa would be able to see it. Um, and then sort of on, on the flip side over in New Zealand, they'll actually see it much as, as you would see it in South America, you'll, you'll be able to see it. Um, and then they'll, the eclipse will be, um, taking place at moonrise, um, sort of the reverse. You'll see it at moonrise, same in Australia. They'll, they'll see it at moonrise as well. And same with, uh, with Japan, I'm kind of looking at a map and then kind of, kind of reading and interpreting. And then there's, there's parts of like China and, um, 
and Russia that, that will kind of get it just just at look at the last little bit just at uh, just at moonrise sort of. And I think that ends up being like on Thursday, the 18th for those individuals, just kind of the way the international uh, time system works. So, so watch, watch your local um, planetarium software timing uh, in places that, that aren't for North America, because I'm not going to go and do that calculation for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But we have, we have, we have several listeners I know in Australia and Japan. So I'm trying to, trying to make sure I include all of those folks. And they, they will be able to see it at moonrise, I think on, uh, on the 18th. Awesome. So this one is, uh, is part of the lunar Saros series 126. So it's got a lunar Saros series 126. Um, and a Saros repeats every, uh, 18 years and, uh, and 11 days give or take. Uh, and, and there's uh, a total of 70 lunar eclipses and events, um, for 14 total lunar eclipses that, that take place, uh, in these Sarah. So, um, these lunar eclipses have been known since Neo-Babylonian times, uh, in the late BC and the Saros is a period of exactly 223 syndonic months or about 18 years. So just trying to, you know, I'm not really that familiar with the Saros and how these things work, but I do know that like the sun and the moon cycle, they do go through these, these periods of several years um, where they, they orbit in certain ways. And then those, those uh, orbits um, repeat, you know, and then that's what we're seeing here is this 18 year repetition. So if you saw the lunar eclipse 18 years ago, then the one that we're seeing uh, this week is in a way like, like a, like a similar repetition of that event because the orbits have all kind of realigned. Okay. Okay. Learn something new every day. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I am, I am interested sort of in the history of all this and the ancient Greek uh, Astarchus of Samos, he was able to work out the earth, uh, the Earth's shadow projected on the moon could be used to determine the diameter of the earth. And Aristarchus uh, used Aristophanes' previous measurements of the Earth's diameter to deduce that the moon Earth distance um, was, uh, you know, basically um, pretty, pretty accurate in terms of how far, how far it is away. And then later Hipparchus and then Ptolemy were actually able to, uh, to, to get that uh, refined right down to pretty much uh, what the modern uh, estimate uh, is. Um, so with lunar eclipses, they were also used to improve our understanding of longitude. You know, back in, uh, in you know, the, uh, the Apollo uh, mission time, they, they used uh, reflectors on the moon uh, to begin to determine, um, you know, how fast uh, the moon is either moving towards us or moving away. It turns out the moon is slowly drifting away from us. And they're best able to do those measurements by bouncing lasers off those reflectors. And those can be best accomplished during uh, lunar eclipses. I knew that I knew that happened, but I didn't know that lunar eclipses played any part in that until I started kind of digging around into this. Yeah. I did not know that either. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Then some of the other more recent things that have happened is uh, there was like the lunar reconnaissance orbiter and they were actually able to use the lunar eclipses to, uh, to work out some of the properties of the regolith on the moon, because as, uh, as the, as the moon entered the earth's shadow, and they were able to use like uh, a lot of different calculations and science and math and all this stuff to actually figure out 
um, based on the heating and cooling of the lunar surface during an eclipse, you know, what the properties, like what kind of materials would the surface of the moon be made out of in order to get the readings uh, that they were seeing. Hmm. Now we know. Now you know. Now you know. Now, Shane, you took a photograph of the moon, and there's probably lots of people out there that are more interested in photographing the moon than they are in the history of lunar observations and lunar uh, eclipse observations. So um, how did you take the photograph you took of the moon and how could people take a spectacular photo like you took of the moon for themselves? Yeah. So, you know, I guess another cool thing about the moon or, or in this case, lunar eclipses is you do not need like a lot of fancy photography gear to photograph it. Um, you know, if you want to take a picture of a galaxy or a nebula, you need, you need like a tracking mount, uh, you need to do a whole bunch of, um, uh, like flats and things like, you know, with your, with your camera capture certain frames so that it assists the processing. And anyway, it's, it's a big process. The moon is, is super easy to photograph. You just need a camera and a tripod. Um, and maybe you don't even need the tripod if you can hold the camera real steady, but I do recommend a tripod. Um, so really what you need for the, if, if you want to get some nice photos of the lunar eclipse, you need a camera that you can uh, customize or control the settings, like put it into manual mode. And, um, the first thing to do is work on your focus. Uh, and that's probably the hardest part of the whole process because in manual mode, um, you know, the, the, the manual focus is required. So take a few shots, make sure it's as crisp as you can get it. Once you have that, um, then really it's just a matter of playing with your ISO settings. You're probably not going to take a very long exposed photo, um, probably a second at the very longest is all you need with the moon because of how bright it is, which means you don't have to track it. Um, now the, the ISO setting is basically the uh, sensitivity that your camera has to light. So you can just play around with the ISO setting to get whatever image you want or, or as much exposure as you want. If the ISO setting is too high, um, the, the camera will ca uh, capture a lot of light and, and maybe wash out some of the details. And if your ISO setting is too low, it won't capture enough light. And then, you know, the, the moon is very dark. The, the challenging part of photographing a lunar eclipse is if you're out there at the very start, the moon is going to be very bright and progressively get dimmer and dimmer until, you know, it's at its, uh, most eclipsed point, um, and then start to brighten again. So you will have to be somewhat dynamic um, on your settings. You're going to have to um, probably at the very start have a low ISO setting and then you know keep bumping it up. Um, and, and the challenge here is if you want to capture, um, like when it's in partial eclipse or, or moving towards that you know, total eclipse or not quite total, but you know the 97%, um, you're going to overexpose the bright part of the moon if you want to get some of the color on the dark part of the moon or the part that's in eclipse. So it becomes a little bit of a challenge that way. Um, some people that are really good at uh, processing photographs will take two photos, you know, one where the dark side is exposed properly, and then one where the brighter side is um, um, exposed properly, and then stack the two images for, you know, sort of a, uh, the best of both worlds. Um, but anyway, that's some real um, kind of high level guidance there. 
um, really just get out there and play around with your camera is, is the most, uh, is probably the best advice I could give. And there's certainly, um, some advice, uh, on the internet, just if you Google uh, or do an internet search for uh, photographing the moon, there'll be lots of uh, more detailed hints out there. Yeah, that that's really great advice. I'm not a photographer, so I'm really glad that you're able to kind of chime in and give us this, this advice, Shane. Yeah, no problem. And I really love the photo that you shared because I really think that the photo that you shared that you've put out on our actual astronomy Twitter feed is, um, is, is going to be, I, I really would bet that this is what we're going to see. I think that that one is, is very, very close to the one that we're going to see um, early on Friday morning. Speaking of the time, the eclipse is going to take place. I'm going to give these an Eastern time. So EST, Eastern Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set to begin at 2.19 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's going to be on November 19th. So if you're staying, you're, if you're staying up, you're going to stay up late on the 18th because this is extremely early Friday morning. And so that's key. Uh, don't wait for late on on the 19th, uh, which would be early on the, on the following day. So you're going to miss it. But you want to be out early, early, early on November 19th. So set your alarm for like um, maybe 2 a.m. and go out. But uh, 2.19, it's going to start 2.19 Eastern. And you're only just going to start to see it just after that. And it's a very slow moving event. So it's not like you blink and you miss it. It's not like a meteor. Um, If it's clear at all, even from a city, you will see it. The maximum is at 4 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. And I can give those. And then it's going to end at 547 Eastern Standard Time. So uh, 219 Eastern Standard Time is 1119 Pacific Time, though, on the 18th. And then um, that's going to be uh, maximum clips at 1 a.m. PST. And then it's going to end at 2.47 PST. So I've kind of given that, given that range there, hopefully with that, people can, figure, um, people can figure it out for their location. Um, if it's cloudy or if you want to see the time for your location, it will get picked up when you browse to it or you can put it in. You can go to www.dateandtime.com date.com so time and date.com and uh, I put a link to their website and they're going to have a live YouTube um, feed as well of of the event so maybe you don't want to go outside when it's minus 20 like it is going to be here and you can uh, you can just watch it from the comfort of, of your home live broadcasts often have uh, some pretty interesting uh, commentators uh, we will be going out to to watch it here. So Shane, with that, I'm not sure if you have anything left to add on our exciting lunar eclipse this week. Uh, the only thing would be if anybody takes some photographs, oh, um, yeah. we would love it if you just tag us, uh, like if you tweet them out, um, um, tweet or tag us at actual astronomy, just so that we can see them or email them to us. We'd, we'd love to see them there too. Um, and we are actualastronomy at gmail.com. Great. Well, thanks so much, Shane. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.